this is for professional and institutional clients only. Storage can add a lot of value to a project or to the grid itself by allowing the system operator to shift power from one time in the day to another time in the day or or even over a longer period of time. Think about a battery as buying low and selling high. Welcome to the Igneo Infrastructure Partners podcast, Keeping It Real Assets. In this series, you will hear from the Igneo investment team in conversation with the leaders of our global infrastructure businesses. We will shine a light on how they operate and their approach to the challenges of an ever-changing world. We hope that you enjoy listening. Hello, my name is Hamish Lee Wilson. I'm a partner at Igneo, and welcome to the latest installment of Keeping It Real Assets, the podcast in which we update our stakeholders on what we're doing around the world. Today, I'm joined by John DeMarco from our New York office. Hi, John. Hi, Hamish. Great to be here. Could you tell our listeners a bit about what your role is in the team at Igneo, please? So I do sit in New York and I cover our North American business from an energy transition perspective. So I oversee power and renewables and other sustainable products, really targeting the next wave of investments here in North America. Today, we're going to talk about renewables, your expert subject matter. Compare and contrast the challenges and opportunities that we see in our platforms around the world. So since 2015, we've been investing in renewables. In Europe, the platform is called Finerge, operating in Portugal and Spain. In Australia, Atmos is the platform that's been built over the last three or four years. And then you're responsible for running our investment in Terragen in North America. Today, we're going to start the discussion to talk about some of the themes in the market, to try and get into the detail of the jargon and some of the technical challenges that we face. And then we'll develop the conversation with some targeted Q&A with the heads of business development at Terragen and Finerge. Before we jump into that, we wanted to just touch on a few of the key themes in the market and talk about how the market's developing. I think everyone knows about wind and solar generation. That's the bulk of the market and the bulk of our investments. But more recently, we've been coming up against other challenges in the market and opportunities created from that. One of those challenges is grid capacity and curtailment. Can you describe that? I think the best way to think about having capacity on the grid means that your project is able to consistently send generated power onto the system without having to sit in lower priority to another generator. In the U.S. and I think in other markets, it also means really being able to provide a reliable distribution to the grid so that the grid balancer can depend on your generation. Curtailment is a negative feature for projects. Effectively, it means that the grid operator is telling you you can't deliver. That could be for a variety of reasons, either technical or economic. What you want to do is find a project that has firm capacity, that can avoid curtailment and not be unfavorably disadvantaged when it comes time for the grid operator to make an assessment about which project is looking to deliver. 
because that would really be the most frustrating thing if we were able to generate electricity and not actually inject that into the grid and being able to sell it. Absolutely. And if you think about renewable generation, there's zero marginal cost. So anytime you can generate but are not able to, that really hits the bottom line pretty hard. And this is something, certainly our experience in Europe, that we're seeing more and more of. More generation capacity comes online and more of it is intermittent, then curtailment will become a bigger issue going forward. That's right. And over here in the U.S., in some markets, it's become a very typical feature. And at times, something a renewable project just contends with. They expect a certain level of curtailment and uh, you're really trying to minimize it. But it has become, unfortunately, somewhat of the norm in certain areas. And in lots of these situations, we have challenges and we have solutions. And one of those is around energy storage. Can you touch on that a bit, please? Sure. I mentioned that certain projects at times may be curtailed, and that's obviously something we seek to avoid. One way to do that is to have storage at your asset. So keep in mind a fundamental truth about the electricity market. Supply must exactly match demand at all times. So if you have a big mismatch, the grid could actually go down. So really what storage can do is a couple of things. One, it can help the grid stay in balance, and that's really important. Things like keeping the grid frequency and voltage in check. Additionally, the storage can add a lot of value to a project or to the grid itself by allowing the system operator to shift power from one time in the day to another time in the day or, or even over a longer period of time. Think about a battery as buying low and selling high. When maybe it's nighttime and there's a lot of power available, charge up the battery and then when prices are high midday, dispatch it and make that arbitrage. So there's a lot of value batteries can confer upon a project. And a big investment opportunity going forward. It's a huge investment opportunity. In North America, Taragen put up over 2,500 megawatt hours of batteries so far just in California. It's a growing market. We see that going to different parts in the U.S., and we know it's a focus overseas as well. If these are the solution, why not install them everywhere all at once? Well, the fact is they are capital intensive, so you really need to have an economic case for that battery installation. A project needs to be able to receive enough revenues, whether that's from balancing the grid from a frequency or voltage perspective, or having enough arbitrage opportunities to make it worth the upfront capital investment. A lot of times now what we're seeing is that load-serving entities or off-takers really value this product quite a bit, that they're even able to offer tolling agreements to the project owner, which can be a great product for an investor like ours. A tolling arrangement effectively means there's no volume risk. And there's no price risk. So it's sort of the holy grail of project ownership in the power sector. And then in some markets, there are regulatory reasons. So in Portugal, all of our generation is still on feed-in tariffs where you have priority dispatch to the grid. So we have not really been curtailed at all in the past. And because of that, it doesn't really create the opportunity or the requirement for batteries. But that will change going forward as we come off the feeding tariffs and come to merchant generation. And then you will get that fluctuation of pricing throughout the day. That makes a lot of sense. I think the interesting thing in some of the challenges about battery installation is they're very useful for the grid, but it's often sometimes difficult to determine exactly who's deriving that benefit and exactly who should be paying for it and to whom. So that's where a lot of the challenge and the regulatory issues come in. One of the things we're doing over here is actually co-locating battery storage with generation. But I understand 
you're actually able to co-locate different forms of generation at Finerge. Do you want to explain that a bit? So hybridization is what we call it in the Portuguese market. And I think we're starting to see it in other markets in Europe. And this is essentially trying to get the best value out of a connection point onto the grid. And that means injecting as much as possible. And wind and solar have got very different production profiles throughout the day. So in the Portuguese market, it tends to be windier at night and less windy during the day. And we want to use the injection capacity throughout the day. So what we've been doing is building solar plants and co-locating them next to our wind resources. And then we're able to basically switch between the two generation sources throughout the day, depending on if it's windy and if it's not windy and it's sunny, then we'll be injecting from the PV. That's incredible. And really, I think a a powerful way to make use of common substation equipment and really the valuable interconnection point, which in most markets is the gating item to successful development. In the Portuguese market and Spain as well, we're becoming far more active in examining our existing assets and seeing if we can actually replace them. And so repowering them, and this tends to be focused on some of the earlier assets in the portfolio. So we did a few wind farms last year We actually replaced some very old 400 kilowatt turbines, so tiny by modern standards, and replaced them with turbines over four megawatts each. So a big increase in capacity, but actually the bigger improvements and the largest area of improvement was efficiency and then a reduction in the O&M costs. So from an investment perspective, incredibly beneficial from a financial perspective. We've actually had similar successes at Terragen, repowering, I believe, 600 kilowatt machines up to three and a half megawatts. One of the interesting things we found in California, and I'm curious if you had in Portugal as well, is that if you think about these older machines, they were generally constructed on the windiest areas. So you've often had the poorest technology sitting in the best wind sites. So when you repower, you're able to capture that. Definitely. You can see how it would make sense. It tends to be the older assets on the best wind sites. And yeah, that's certainly what we found in Portugal. The other big theme that we're seeing in the European market is the transition from feed-in tariffs and regulated subsidy regimes to merchant exposure. The way to counteract this or effectively contract this away is through PPAs. Could you just explain what a PPA is and, and how it works and what's important to us? A PPA or a power purchase agreement is a form of off-take arrangement whereby the generator sells power and a load-serving entity accepts that power. There can be many different forms and they come with different names like hedges or contract for differences. Really what you're looking for with any off-take arrangement is who bears the risk. First is price risk. That's the risk that the spot price for power is fluctuating up and down. Most generators, of course, seek to fix this part. The next is volume risk, and this refers to who's taking the risk, the generator or the load-serving entity, that the amount of generation differs from what is expected. And the last is uh, basis risk. That's where the price at one point where the generator is delivering is different from the price where the contract is settled. So in any of these arrangements, whether they're power purchase agreements, financial hedges, or other offtake arrangements, as a generator, what you're trying to do is shift all these risks or as much of it as possible to the load-serving entity. 
the utility or whoever's buying your power. And of course, they have the opposite motivation. So usually these risks get split up and the power price is affected by who's bearing that risk. But in the U.S., we see all sorts of varieties of these arrangements. And I expect as the market develops in Portugal and and Spain that you will as well. And have you seen a convergence in the terms of these types of structures? The way you describe it, it sounds like these are very much bilateral transactions. They tend to either be bilateral negotiations or done through a request for proposal by a utility. And that often depends on who the party is. What we've seen significant growth in is the corporate offtake market, where you have folks like Amazon and Walmart and Microsoft actually becoming the largest purchasers of power. And they tend to have one type of offtake arrangement that seems to have really gotten to a bit of a standard contract in, in the U.S., or at least with respect to the three risks I mentioned, sort of a, an economic agreement of how those are going to be shared. But I'd be curious whether you're seeing the same involvement from corporations in Europe. I was looking at some stats the other day, and Portugal and Spain are effectively a single electricity market. It's actually the busiest part of Europe for PPAs. So first half of this year, about eight and a half gigawatts of capacity was signed under contract, which is about 40% of European capacity that was contracted. So it's definitely the part of the market in Europe that's leading the way. And there is that similar move to standardization. We're certainly not there yet. There's lots of people doing it for the first time, both the buyers and the sellers. But I think over time, the market will converge more and you get more standard contracts. And I think that'll be good as we'll look to contract more in the future. And it's power purchase at the moment. But I think looking further forward, it's going to be around carbon as well and carbon removals. And we hope that the carbon removal market develops in the same way, using the same types of technology. We're actually seeing in the U.S. now, effectively for renewable natural gas, we're seeing similar offtake arrangements where corporations are coming in and valuing those renewable attributes similar to what they would do in the power sector. So it could be carbon offsets, it could be other kind of environmental attributes. But what's important is I think that these parties are taking a lead and it'd be interesting to see how that moves forward. Joining me today is Guillaume Portugal, Head of Business Development for Finerge. Guillaume joined Finerge in 2019. Let's talk about your home market. The Portuguese renewable power market has historically been developed through feed-in tariffs. I understand the market is now moving towards a PPA model. Can you talk about that a little bit and how the company is adapting to a post-feed-in tariff world? More than 90% of Finerge assets in Portugal and Spain are under um, regulated regimes. Finerge currently still have on average around 10 years under these uh, conditions. So the volume of energy produced by Finerge exposed to uh, these conditions is still very uh, limited. But as we have a lot of projects under development and also a few projects that are under operation that are subject to uh, merchant conditions, Last year, Finerge took a strategic decision to set up an energy management team to prepare Finerge for the challenges that will arise from this transition. So this team will be focused on managing Finerge's exposure to market risks. In the short term, they have been focused on setting up edging strategies to reduce exposure to market fluctuations. And in the midterm, they will be negotiating long-term PPAs. I think we have seen some pretty large price fluctuations over the last couple of years. How do you see that market evolving? 
What we saw in the last few years that have been huge fluctuations. So first in 2022, we had the start of the Ukrainian war. That caused high spikes on fossil fuels, especially gas prices that contribute to an increase on the electricity prices. And later, so in this year, due to the high share of renewables penetration in Iberia, we saw days when consumption was low, especially during weekends. And at the same time, we have high wind and solar resource. So wholesale prices were very low, a few hours also close to zero. These fluctuations are not good for consumers due to extremely high electricity prices, but also neither for investors with very low prices, increasing the uncertainty on their investments. And to tackle these, the EU Commission has recently approved the electricity market design reform. This reform is focused on long-term solutions in order to avoid similar situations in the future, being the key drivers, better protection to the consumers, more stability for investors and increased penetration of renewables. This will be tackled by boosting the PPA market in Europe and generalizing the CFDs. With all these changes, where do you see the greatest opportunity for development in your market? In my opinion, one of the greatest opportunities is related with the optimization of finance assets. Portugal and Spain in the last few years have seen multiple regulatory changes and reforms to the energy sector, and some of them allowed utilities and IPPs to optimize their assets without doing significant upgrades to the existing electrical infrastructure. A few examples of these are the overpowering, the hybrids, and the repowering projects. These initiatives allow us to increase the load factor of the grid connection points without changing the interconnection infrastructure. So if I understand correctly, you might have a project that's 100 megawatts, but the grid now allows you to inject over that amount. Is that how it works? It allows you to install more capacity, but you are limited by the injection capacity. So you have like 100 megawatts injection capacity, but you could install 150 megawatts. And if you do these on different technologies, so if you install, let's say, 100 megawatts of wind and then 50 megawatts of solar, as they normally have a negative correlation, you increase the load factor of that grid capacity point. In my earlier conversation with Hamish, he mentioned these hybrid assets, and it's a truly interesting way to make better use of an interconnection point and, I guess, uh, shared infrastructure like a substation. That's the greatest opportunity. What do you think the greatest challenges to your business are right now? As you know, there is a diverse range of challenges ahead of us. On the development side, we have been facing a period of multiple regulatory changes, increases in the different technologies, capex, disruptions in the supply chain as renewables scale rapidly, among others. But I think one of the main challenges linked to what we have been discussing here today that is related with the intermittent nature of renewable sources and its impact on the electricity market. So we still have a long way to go to make technologies such as electrical storage, green hydrogen production to be economically viable solution to provide stability to the electrical system. Let's talk about storage for a minute. Storage can be one of those fixes for intermittency, but as you noted, it has to make sense economically. How do you see that unfolding in your markets and what do you think the next steps are and maybe a little bit how Fenerge is thinking about it for the future? At the moment, we don't have any electrical storage systems in operation. 
but we do have projects under development. Finesse believes that storage will play an important role in providing stability to the electrical system and also because one of our main development opportunities are the hybrids and the overpowering projects. And in these projects, we are, as we were discussing, installing more capacity than the one that we have in the interconnection points. So if, for example, when we have high wind speeds on a sunny day, we will have both projects producing at its maximum capacity. So as we have a limitation in the grid, we will have to curtail some of the energy produced from one of our projects. So installing storage systems in these projects will allow Finair to store this curtailed energy and sell it at a later stage to the market. We are now developing the first two prototype storage projects associated to our bigger projects. However, as you were saying, with the current regulation in Iberia, it's still a challenge to make these projects viable as there are limited revenue streams and the capex of this technology is still very high. So we believe that there are still a lot to do, mainly in terms of regulation, in order to allow these projects to be economically viable. One of the observations we've had over here in the U.S. is a lot of times battery storage makes a lot of sense for the grid, but there's still that challenge of figuring out exactly who's benefiting and exactly who should be paying and who they should be paying. It'll be interesting to see how that develops in your market. Thank you, Guillaume. I would now like to move across the Atlantic to discuss the dynamics of the renewables market in the United States with Gus Luna, the Chief Development Officer for Terrajet. Terrigen is Igneo's investment and a North American independent power producer. During the company's life, Terrigen has successfully developed over 5 gigawatts of wind, solar, and energy storage. Terrigen currently operates and maintains over 2.7 gigawatts across 27 wind, solar, and energy storage projects. The company has developed over 2,000 megawatt hours of storage. To put that in perspective, that is the equivalent of 350 million fully charged iPhones, which is roughly uh, an iPhone fully charged for every person living in the United States. What does it take to be successful developing battery storage, either on a co-located basis or by itself? We saw the opportunities in storage really a few years back. And so we took some small positions on development to really get some experience and expertise under our belt. The battery industry has gone more to a package system. The construction of it is actually quite simple. However, it's the commissioning that's very complicated. And how do you get the batteries to speak to the inverters? And how does all that work with the EMS? And how does all of that then communicate and coordinate with the system operator? The market is changing. So curious from your perspective, how has renewable power offtake changed and how you've incorporated battery storage into your offtake arrangements? What you've seen is with the big commitment, particularly from corporates, like the Microsofts and the Targets, Starbucks, and those type of folks, they have a slightly different need in terms of how they think about what they're contracting for in the structure. Still long-term contracts, still you can get you know fixed price transactions, but they're looking at slightly different structure, in some cases structured transactions where you're providing a little bit more firmness. And so where the batteries come in really is on two fronts. One, it comes in on being able to provide these type of structures to the off-takers. And so we'll use batteries as a form of firming, if you will. What you're seeing is a lot more interest in just battery storage itself, either as a capacity product or as a traditional tolling agreement like you've seen in the gas generation space, where you build and maintain the battery 
someone else operates or dispatches the battery. And for that, you get a fixed price over the long term. So we're starting to see more of that type of interest from off-takers, whether load-serving entities and even some of the corporates. As a financial investor, you know, (laughs) we love tolling agreements, right? There's no volume or production risk associated with it. You have a fixed price as long as your battery is operating within the system parameters agreed upon it. It's a great product. And as I understand it, you've got the warranties from the equipment manufacturers to back up that performance. So we're all very excited about the continued evolution of the tolling market. We are as well. I do think that last part you hit on is important, really, on the warranties. And we have long-term warranties that really match up with the off-take structures and commitments. And we structure those very specifically to the use case that we're committing to. And so typically when you're doing these tolling agreements, it's not that the off-taker has unfettered use of the asset. There are some restrictions that we build into that and it's part of the negotiation and that gets back to back effectively with our warranty. So we feel really good about those structures, particularly given the top tier battery suppliers that we use. What are the biggest challenges that the company faces? We've heard a lot about supply chain interconnection. What keeps you up at night as you think about the development business? The supply chain side, more from a cost perspective, is a lot more volatile than historically we've seen. A lot more uncertainty around you know, where your pricing will be, a lot more uncertainty around delivery timelines around equipment. Um, you've had where you could order a breaker and you'd have a 12-month delivery cycle. Now it's like 48 months. And so that's something that we saw, particularly as we were coming out of COVID. One of the things that we've done on that front to mitigate some of that is we've entered into contracts for major equipment. We locked down significant volume for domestic content of battery panels. We've locked down a master supply agreement for batteries. And then we went through and we've purchased a significant quantities of key long lead items that aren't big capital expenditures, but that could really hamstring a project if you can't get those in time. So things like 230 KV breakers, 500 KV breakers, transformers. And so our portfolio is large enough and that we could now utilize this equipment in different projects, depending on how projects evolve. So definitely supply chain continues to be a concern. Costs and volatility continue to be a concern, but I think we've taken steps to manage that. And then the other thing that we do really upfront is we try to lock down our EPC contracts under fixed price arrangements so that we can lock down our margins early on and not have exposure to that through the construction cycle. So that's one. And then I would say the other one that we've always pursued proactively is interconnection. Interconnection process today, if you had a new entrant, new developer entrant today, you're looking at probably six to eight years before you get any steel in the ground, given how long these interconnection processes are taking now, particularly in places like California. We're always looking three, four years ahead, looking at the transmission build out and putting in interconnection requests and putting in positions consistent with our view of how the market's going to evolve such that we have a pretty robust pipeline of capacity to interconnect in new projects as time rolls on. So at any moment in time, we probably have something in the order of 10 to 20 gigawatts of interconnection requests across the markets as we're looking at projects. Thank you for the insight today. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Real Assets, the Ignea Infrastructure Partners podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, 
You can listen to more by following Igneo Infrastructure Partners on your favourite podcast platform. If you'd like to find out more about Igneo Infrastructure Partners, you can visit our website at igneoip.com. This podcast series was produced by Mark Gardner at OX4 Sound Studio. This podcast is not a financial promotion and has been prepared for general information purposes only. It is not intended to be investment or financial advice and does not take into account the specific investment objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. References to specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell such securities. Investment vehicles managed by Igneo Infrastructure Partners are only available to institutional investors, professional investors, qualified investors and wholesale clients. They are not available to retail clients, the general public, private customers or any persons in any jurisdiction in which their distribution is not authorised. Igneo Infrastructure Partners is an unlisted infrastructure asset management business and is part of the First Sentier Investors Group. We communicate and conduct business through different legal entities in different locations. Please refer to the notes section of the podcast platform you use for more information on Igneo Infrastructure Partners in your region. For Singapore only, the podcast should be used in accordance with the applicable laws in Singapore. In Singapore, the podcast is issued by First Sentier Investors Singapore, whose company registration number is 196900420D. This advertisement or material has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. First Sentier Investors registration number 53236800B and Igneo Infrastructure Partners registration number 53447928J are business divisions of First Sentier Investors Singapore.